So I often wonder, should I be starting these shows out with a question? Because when you show up, you say, okay, here goes Deb again, asking me a question. And I have to dig deep and think hard when all I want to do is sit back and just listen to a conversation and pass some time. But you are here because you think differently. You are looking for insights and to be inspired. But you know what? It does start with you. So here's this week's question. Do you play it safe or do you live a life that is purposeful? Now, I'm sure you've read self-help books and you're always asked those questions, but let's make it relatable. My guest this week, Jonathan Miller, he is leading the charge in a challenging industry, hemp and CBD. Now, why does Deb have such a guest on her show? Yes, I am sincerely curious about the industry and why is it hard? Because it is one with purpose. And yes, while you can monetize it, there are so many people that are in need of these products for a better life. And so people like Jonathan, it is hard, but he is living a life with purpose as well as others to open up a market that is challenging. And so I ask you, do you live a life that is safe or one that is purposeful, though hard, you know, you're going to have a great outcome. Let's listen to our conversation. I used to say I went to the county clerk and changed my name from Jonathan Miller to Jonathan Hemp is not Marijuana Miller because I would have a meeting or a phone call every day with somebody to try to explain to them that the products that we're trying to get legal and regulated are not going to get you high. And there's been a lot of education done since then, but there's still people that, that need to have that information. But most importantly, we've just got to get Congress focused on this. I think that all the equities in our favor, everybody I talk to when I lobby the Hill seems to be supportive, but there's just a lot of other priorities right now, whether we're talking about Afghanistan or COVID or the partisan battles that typically envelop Congress, they get in the way of really important bipartisan legislation. You know, our bill, HR 841, it's the bill that would uh, establish a legal pathway for CBD, has 30 co-sponsors, 19 are Democrats and 11 are Republicans. Now, that just shows you that hemp and CBD have really transcend partisanship and, and really do have the favor of most Americans. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Covey-Ello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining me again for another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My goal is to bring to you week after week amazing leaders so they can share their insights and inspiration with you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And this week, I am honored to share the mic with my guest, Jonathan Miller. There are few individuals who have had more influence in the development of the U.S. hemp industry than the U.S. Hemp Roundtable's general counsel, Jonathan Miller. And upon helping found the roundtable, 
Jonathan has served as the industry's leader, leading advocate for hemp and CBD legislation on the ground in Congress and in dozens of state legislatures. As a recovering politician, <laughs> Jonathan has worked across the aisle with leading hemp champions such as U.S. Senator Minority Leader Mitch McConnell on critical legislation, including the 2014 and 2018 Farm Bills. And now much of his work is spent with Congress, the White House, USDA, FDA, and DEA to promote the policies in the industry. He serves as a member in charge of Frost Brown Todd's Washington, D.C. office and leads the national law firm's broad and diverse hemp practice. He also supports pro-Israel organizations and serves as president of the Robert S. Miller Foundation for Justice and Equity, a poker affianado and also has made the final table in the 2012 Word Series of Poker Tournament. I cannot wait to go there, Jonathan. But first, <laughs> let's welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. First of all, just a quick shout out to Robert Bryan. He is the president of QC Infusion, uh, another person very active in this space. And he said that you were a person I needed to speak to. And the reason why you're so important to me and my listeners is, one, I am sincerely curious about this industry. It is going to make a significant difference in the market, hemp, CBD, and all of those things. I think it'll be very interesting, but also your leadership position, your advocacy and trying to create policy versus fighting, but fighting in the good sense for potentially helping people that need these products and services. So I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally, your career background, and the work that you're doing now. Sure. Now, as you mentioned in my bio, I'm a recovering politician. I started off in, in politics as a very young staff person to Al Gore when he ran for president the first time back in in 1998, I followed him into the Clinton-Gore administration. I served as the deputy chief of staff of the U.S. Department of Energy, also did a stint as a legislative director on Capitol Hill. Then I moved back home and ran for Congress. That didn't work out as well as I hoped, but uh, a year later, I ran for state treasurer of Kentucky. I was elected uh, statewide and then reelected four years later. I ran for governor of Kentucky, the people of Kentucky overwhelmingly decided that I uh, should go into the private sector. Uh, about 10 years ago, I uh, re-enlisted uh, as, as an attorney and a few years later uh, got engaged in the hemp industry kind of by accident. And now it's overtaken my life and it is I go to work every morning to, to fight for both uh, in terms of uh, helping ensure that uh, hemp products that help people's health and wellness like CBD are, are made legal and they're regulated and now working a lot on sustainability programs. Hemp is a really sustainable crop can help address some of our climate change uh, issues and I'm excited about the future that that, uh, that side of the crop holds. So this is so interesting. Again, we knew each other a little bit, but you're seeing this as so much more than simply opening up a market and fighting or creating the regulation, but you truly see this as a socially responsible effort. Yeah, you know, I uh, again, I started off as a 19-year-old working for Al Gore, and and uh, what attracted me to his campaigns is stewardship of of uh, the earth, of of our environment. I'm a very passionate believer that we need to do a whole lot more to address climate change, and and I got involved in the hemp space because I understood that uh, hemp was sustainable, that uh, there were some hemp-based fuels that were being discussed at the time. I had no idea what CBD was when I started to engage. Uh, that's really taken over. 
over the industry. And it's, uh, I'm excited to work on it because it, it does uh, millions of people find benefits in, in those products. I am especially excited about what hemp means for, for the environment, gets me back to you know where, where my passions lie. You got me curious about, you fell into it by accident. Tell me more about that. When I got out of politics, I was uh, struggling with what uh, I wanted to do. And one thing that I, I fell back on was uh, I enjoyed a writing. I, I'd written a few books and, and uh, started writing for online magazines like The Daily Beast and Huffington Post and uh, started to kind of take on some controversial issues that I wasn't able to address when I was in politics because we're in a conservative state. And one of those was I uh, wrote an article that I said we should legalize cannabis. Um, the uh, state agriculture commissioner read that article and he said, Jonathan, we're trying to legalize hemp in Kentucky. Can you help me? And I said, sure. I, I didn't know what the difference between hemp and marijuana was at the time, but I had a lot of time on my hands. I wanted to do something that was worthwhile. I did the research, really discovered all the incredible applications for hemp, discovered Kentucky's long history with the crop and got engaged. And that ultimately led to the development of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, as well as my hemp law practice. And, and now it's, uh, it's nearly everything that I do professionally. So that's amazing. And, and, you know, there's kind of a, a leadership component in there that I'd like to pull out a little bit is that at the time, given time and space, you were just following a passion based on your interest in the environment and also simply your love of writing. And, you know, so often people hold themselves back because, oh, I can't write. It's not perfect. I didn't do well in English. Who would read or who would be interested in what I have to say? And through a set of circumstances, you put it out there and somebody picked up on it. And now this is your life's work. You know, the uh, barriers to entry for writing used to be quite quite high, uh, but now these days uh, uh, anybody can publish their thoughts, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or their own blog. Uh, I, I started a blog called The Recovering Politician, got a, a bunch of other former elected officials to join me on that, and, and uh, I was able to write for some big uh, e-magazines as well. But I, I really do encourage people to take the opportunity to have their say and, and share their ideas, and who knows, uh, you know, your career could complete. Uh, be transformed like mine was. So I have one more personal question along the line here. So certainly from a I don't know, social account, social responsibility, you were drawn to this. But I'm curious if you have any personal connection or you have seen the impact of legalizing this industry on individuals. I'm wondering if you have any stories of who have benefited from this. Sure. You know, the one of the my other passions other than the environment is, is civil rights. My dad was a civil rights lawyer. And uh, we, as you mentioned in our biography, our family set up a foundation in his honor to promote justice and equity. And so that's been a, a major a passion of mine as well. Hemp was started, uh, was uh, the leading cash crop in Kentucky and uh, was really responsible for the ongoing use of enslaved persons to, to harvest the crop and to, to, to grow the crop. And it really has a, a very sordid history when it comes to slavery and, and the part of, of the South. And additionally, with, uh, you know, marijuana, disproportionately by significant numbers, the arrests and, and jail sentences of, of people are disproportionately people of color. So you've got the two cannabis industries with a, a really sad history when it comes to, to race. And we at the roundtable are taking every opportunity to uh, try to promote justice and equity in our own industry and, and use this as a, a platform to empower farmers of color and minority-owned businesses uh, to, in the space. 
Wow. Okay. So I am totally drawn in because there's so much more of a backstory to all of this rather than simply the tactical work that you're doing to try to create the policies in the places of influence. So I'm moved by this. (laughs) And so this is why it's so interesting, but I would love to now move a little bit more into the work that you're doing and perhaps educate some of our listeners about what are some of the important legislation in the recent past that has enabled this industry to advance as well as some of the challenges you're having right now. Because again, there's a whole bunch of business owners and people depending on this to open up. Can you just bring us up to speed a little bit on that? Sure. So when I got started around 2012, 2013, hemp was considered a controlled substance, a Schedule One controlled substance akin to heroin. Uh, even cocaine is, is considered to have medical qualities to it. So it's not Schedule One, it's Schedule Two. So hemp can't get you high. And so it was one of the most outrageous uh, kind of historical errors made uh, because of confusion between hemp and, and marijuana. We were able to uh, work across the aisle. I'm, you know, I'm a liberal Democrat, worked with uh, Senator McConnell and, and folks on both sides of the aisle to secure the development of pilot programs in states as part of the 2014 Farm Bill. And ultimately, our big victory in 2018 was uh, adding language to the 2018 Farm Bill, which permanently legalized hemp. And, and that was a, a great accomplishment. But our, our work was not done because the same day we had that bill signed, the FDA came out and, and continued to argue that it was illegal to sell CBD as a ingestible product. And uh, so we have been working now on legislation to uh, develop a, a legal and regulatory pathway for the sale of CBD as both a dietary supplement and as a food and beverage additive. Uh, there is so much potential for our farmers and for small businesses if we get this completely legalized. But more importantly for consumers, you know, right now there are thousands of products. You can go anywhere and get a CBD product, a gas station, convenience store, grocery store, but you don't know what's in it. And so we, uh, this legislation that we're supporting would provide strict regulations. You'd have to Manufacturers would have to do a safety study before they put something on the shelf. They'd have to use good manufacturing practices, uh, truth and labeling. Everything that we want for a product that is ingested needs to happen for CBD, and, and that won't happen until we get legislation. I am curious about this other thing. So certainly, just like other substances, ingredients that have to go through the legislative process and also the regulation, what is and isn't acceptable. This is a disruptor, and I'm wondering, are there any sectors, industries, other political influences that see this as a disruptor and are maybe pushing back purely because they don't want the competition of curious. Yeah, no, we were very worried at the outset that we would receive a lot of pushback from Big Pharma. Um, okay. There is a a prescription drug called Epidiolex, which uses a, a, an intensive formulation of pure CBD that helps treat a rare form of childhood epilepsy. And we were concerned that Big Pharma would try to keep a monopoly on that. They certainly haven't done so publicly, but the philosophy, the, the inertia at FDA really goes against the development of new dietary supplements. And so the FDA has claimed since 2018 that they were going to investigate a regulatory track for CBD, but they've done nothing of substance to do that. And so we believe that whether or not Big Pharma is pushing on this, it's that old line philosophy that the only things that consumers should take are drugs that uh, have been where tens of millions of dollars have been spent in research uh, when, you know, there's been so much research and studies done on, on CBD. We know it's safe. Other countries have legalized and regulated it, and it's, it's time for the U.S. to follow suit. 
One other element is that, so we, the people that produce, and then there are consumers that need and want. Is there any more education that we need to do? Because again, we can open up or set the regulation, but will people be hesitant to even embrace this as a new opportunity for health and wellness? Is there education we still need to provide? Yeah, you know, I used to say that uh, I went to the to the county clerk and changed my name from Jonathan Miller to Jonathan Hemp is not marijuana Miller because I I would have a meeting or a phone call every day with somebody whether it's a legislator or a banker or some other uh, business to try to explain to them that the products that we're trying to get legal and regulated are, are not are not going to get you high and, and there's still there's been a lot of education done since then but there's still people that that need to have that information but most importantly we've just got to get Congress focused on on this I, I think that all the equity in our favor. Everybody I talk to when I lobby the Hill uh, seems to be supportive, but there's just a lot of other priorities right now, whether we're talking about Afghanistan or, or um, COVID or, or, or the partisan battles that typically uh, envelop Congress. They get in the way of, of really important bipartisan legislation. You know, our bill, it's called HR 841. It's the bill that would uh, establish a legal pathway for, for CBD. It has 30 co-sponsors, 19 are Democrats and 11 are Republicans. Now, you name another bill that uh, has that kind of balance. It's very rare, but that just shows you that hemp and CBD have, uh, you know, really transcend partisanship and, and really do have the favor of most Americans. So you're doing noble work, and I'm going to continue to follow this because I'm very curious because I, I see a lot of parallels to the industries that I've been in. I've been in the flavor and fragrance industry. Again, those are ingredients, and along the way, some of those ingredients, and even now, continue to have controversy around what is and isn't legal for people to consume or use, etc. So I see this just as the next wave to add to that portfolio. But let's move a little bit to the producers and people that are producing this product because I know they're near and dear to your heart. Let's just assume the pathways open, the regulations put in place, things are legalized, things are controlled. When we think now to be able to produce and fill the market, what challenges are there for then these manufacturers of these products? What's the new front, new opportunities for them? Right now, the two big challenges they have are the the lack of regulatory structure, both um, has been drying up money and, and uh, investment in the industry, but also it uh, rewards the bad apples. Um, it uh, they Most good manufacturers already use good manufacturing practices when they make their products. They already use truth and labeling, but they're competing with products out there that don't do either and that could get people sick. And so what we hope with this legislation it's passed, it would both unleash the, the funding as well as uh, make sure that uh, there's a level playing field when it comes to how uh, products are, are positioned in the industry. Once we do get it passed, I, I do think you're going to see, again, the kind of free-for-all that happens at the beginning of the industry. You'll get a lot of folks trying to enter the space. Too many will. And the ones that don't come prepared and, and don't come with a, a good business plan are, are going to run into some challenges. Uh, but uh, you know, I do think after a few years, that sorts out and you'll see uh, a really robust industry with folks offering a full range of, of, of products that uh, not only have CBD, but there are, I think, a, a thousand other cannabinoids in the, in the cannabis plant. And uh, we'll, we'll learn more about others as the, as the days go on. I am also excited to have learned you have kicked off a podcast, Hemp Legally Speaking. And I listened to it today, and it was, for me, an amazing experience because I am also trying to get smarter and understand the opportunities and challenges here. And the way you delivered, you and your partner, it was so easy for me to understand a tremendous amount of information in a short amount of time. Please share with us a little bit about the impetus for that and what are you hoping to accomplish with your podcast? 
when, when I work with the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, I am advocating. I am trying to push the envelope. I'm trying to get things, legal regimes and regulations more clear and, and more favorable for the industry. But half of my life is, is uh, I'm a lawyer helping clients try to navigate through the laws, many of which I helped write. And we thought it would be really helpful for the public to, to kind of dig deep in terms of what are the, the legal and regulatory regimes that are currently existing. If, if I'm a a business or I'm a farmer or I'm trying to sell CBD, what, what do I need to be worried about? What do I need to think about? Uh, our first podcast is about a controversial issue, Delta 8 THC, which has become this huge product. It's intoxicating and many folks believe that it should not be sold akin to hemp. It should be sold akin to marijuana as uh, regulated and, and limited to adults. We took a strictly legal viewpoint. We talk about the arguments for its legality, the arguments against its legality, and, and what does the science say, and what do we think about the future, and uh, try to really boil it down so it's not two lawyers talking legalese, but rather having a conversation that the average uh, non-legal um, individual will be able to kind of understand uh, in, in depth. To validate what you just said, again, I am not an expert in this area, but I truly enjoyed the science. I enjoyed the intelligence of the arguments, both for and against, and it was just delivered in such a way that, if nothing else, it's just a great educational piece, but I know a lot of people are going to gravitate it. So congratulations on the launch of that. Thank you. So poker, let's <laughs> go back to poker. Tell me, how did you get into that? Why? And I, I just curious, just tell me more about that. I'm not a gambler, but I've always loved math. And uh, I was able to start starting college find that playing poker with friends was a lot of fun. And I also happened to be pretty good at it because of my ability to use math, understand the probabilities, and, and uh, also kind of read, read people. That's part of uh, being good at politics, being able to figure out whether someone is lying to you or, um, or telling you the truth or they're weak or they're strong in their arguments. Uh, uh, I, I never was really able to enter a public tournament while I was in office because Kentucky's a conservative state. And I was afraid if I won, it might be, it might be news. I might lose a lot of votes. So when I uh, got out of politics, I, I did something I've been dreaming about for a while, which is entering the World Series of Poker. And I did in 2012 in my very first World Series of Poker tournament. I, I put down a thousand bucks. I competed against 5,000 people. And after four days, I made the final table. I finished eighth. I won 75 grand and, and uh, have a lifetime of stories to tell. And I go back every year. I've never done as well, although I, I do. Uh, I've been doing pretty well the last several years. But it, for me, poker is a, a great way to. Um, uh, it's sort of my uh, my my zen, my my way of. Uh, getting away from all things, getting out of my own mind, getting away from the, the stress of work and uh, just focusing on something that's fun and, and uh, that uh, uses some of my uh, hidden talents. You know, you say something so important, you know, we get so busy in our family lives, in our work lives, but just finding that one thing that you're good at and does take you to a different place. I am an amateur curler. I won a silver medal in 2017 with my women's team. Oh, wow. At Notre Dame. Yeah, it was in the arena curling. But it's the same organization that leads up to people who are competing at the Olympic level, of course. And we also won the men's team, won gold in the last Olympics. So I am part of that greater organization. And when you're playing curling, it levels the playing field. You're allowed to be yourself. And sometimes amazing things happen. <laughs> when I play poker, the only thing I'm thinking about is poker. And my wife is a a body and mind health advisor for women and always teaches me the, the goals of being present and, and being in the moment. And when I'm, when I'm poker, I'm present in the moment and it, uh, it is, I find it relaxing and, and, and enjoyable. So one more thing about 
the work that you do, because I think this is potentially helpful for people that are listening who are in different levels of uh, leadership or wherever they're at in their community. You are leading the charge of a challenging effort, and a lot of people are depending on you and the circle of people that are trying to support this. What keeps you going? Because I'm sure you have some rough days. What keeps you going to be able to continue to fight or evolve this industry? I'm fortunate that we have a great team, both in terms of our staff that does an outstanding work on these issues, but also our board of directors and our members. We gather four times a year in person, and unfortunately, we've had to miss a few of those because of COVID, but we've gotten to know each other and become friends. And, and uh, it, it really is a, it, what's outstanding is it's a lot of competitors. It's people who um, are going to be ultimately fighting over the size of uh, their slice of the pie when, they, when we get everything legalized. But what's great is to have them all working together and, and without any animus and without the competition to, to enlarge the pie for everyone. I also have to mention that last year they gifted a poker table made of hemp and it sits in my basement and I've had games there, but it's uh, hemp wood is makes up the poker table. So they're, uh, they know what I like and, and uh, they're great people to work with. Thank you for that story. That, that is so cool. <laughs> but, you know, just think about sometimes being in business for yourself, running up the ladder in your career. It's good to join masterminds. It's good to join groups or organizations where different players do come together because collaborating versus fighting against each other is probably a better way of, like you say, giving everybody a piece of the pie. This has been a great conversation. I sincerely appreciate your time and educating myself and the listeners on this. But if there were any last thoughts that you might have for people that are, you know, thinking of maybe going into this space, maybe they're looking at careers in this area, even though it's a rough landscape right now, what are some thoughts that you might want to share with some of the people to learn and perhaps participate in this? Sure. So again, as you mentioned earlier, I have a podcast called Hemp Legally Speaking. It's on all the different podcast platforms, and we really are going to go through on a week-by-week basis all of the different things you need to know about starting a business, uh, trademarking your name, choosing uh, what kind of labels go on your products, uh, avoiding the the pitfalls, uh, trying to get uh, investment for for your your business, and all those kinds of things that you need. So it's it's called Hemp Legally Speaking, and please join us, subscribe, and and, uh, hopefully we'll provide you a lot of good information. Information. But if you're on the other side, you'd like to advocate for this crop, this product, uh, and you believe in hemp or CBD, please come join us at the roundtable. It's hempsupporter.com. Now, at that website, it's a wealth of information about what goes on on a daily basis. If you sign up for our free email, you get regular updates on what's happening. But where we really need you is we've got a platform on there that allows you to automatically send emails to your members of Congress, your senators, your state legislators. We ask you to take what we have and personalize it. But even if you don't know who they are, if you just type in your zip code, our, our programming knows and, and allows you to directly communicate with them. As a former politician, I know that when I hear from my constituents, it matters. And so I really do encourage you to take this opportunity to use hempsupporter.com to let your members of Congress know how important these issues are for you. So what a beautiful thing to be able to do something that fulfills your passion and that you know you're doing right by so many people that can use the products as well as those that are trying to get to the community. So It takes a lot of strength of character, but you're not alone. So I just wish you continued success in the work that you're doing. I know people are going to want to reach out to you. I just want to appreciate you being just an amazing guest, Jonathan. I thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. 
If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.